As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Holy Football Show, European edition. Today, Champions League quarterfinals. Are PSG going to PSG the league away? And how will they fare against Bayern? Mandatory basketball. We hear about the Real Athletic final. And Holland notes, what could he go for in the summer transfer market? We'll be talking about all that and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and thank you so much for joining us here on the Totally Football Show uh, on what is for us, well, Monday, April the 5th, to be absolutely honest, but by the time this gets to you, well, Tuesday, April the 6th. Uh, with us today on Totally, we've got Julian Laurence. Hi, Jules. Hi, James. Hi, everyone. Alvaro Romeo also on board. Hello, Alvaro. Hello, James. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And Raphael Honigstein's here too. Hi, Raf. Hello, James. Nice to see you. James Horncastle is off, but don't worry, it's Champions League quarterfinals week, so not a big one for Italian football. Uh, we're <laughs> just coming back off the international break. Um, any big stories? Any any major things we should be discussing? For Rafa, anything particular happened with Germany that we should maybe... No. Mm, was mm. it uh, Bielefeld's 1-1 draw with Mainz? Possibly so. Possibly. No, but what's been the fallout to that North Macedonia defeat? Oh, that. Uh, that's not even the biggest game this week. But um, yeah, the, the fallout is that all the goodwill and positivity that might have existed towards Joachim Löw has all dissipated into the thin spring air. Mm. And now you'll have two months of people thinking, oh, no, it's going to be a disaster again. Some cause even for him to go now. I don't think that's realistic. But shows you just how demoralizing I think for everyone concerned this defeat was in the manner of the performance but mm. we've had bigger games since James two massive games at the top of the table that are season defining right. okay if well, you want to yeah I do learn I do. more mm-hmm. let's now let's do that let's let's begin okay. with our traditional round of moments of the weekend and go on Rafa you lead us off moments of the weekend of course with Paddy Power well, there were two, and it's very difficult to choose between them because two absolutely seminal goals for the season. One by Leon Gretzka, 
to edge the thriller between Bayern and Leipzig and give Bayern a seven-point lead, which feels like the championship is won again for the ninth time. But just as importantly, for other reasons, the late header from Andre Silva past uh, Marvin Hitzing goal from Dortmund, giving Frankfurt the win and a seven-point gap in fourth spot ahead of Dortmund with all sorts of repercussions. Right. All sorts of repercussions we'll be discussing later, potentially for Erling Haaland's future uh, with the club. Alvaro, your moments of the weekend. I would have preferred not to not to say this, but Real Sociedad is the cup winner in Spain. Uh, they won their first title uh, since 1987, so congratulations to them for winning the Spanish Cup final. And there is another thing that it is pretty relevant in the title race. Barcelona, for the first time in a long time, three, four months, they depend on their own results to be La Liga champions because Atletico de Madrid lost against Sevilla. So if Barcelona wins every game available, uh, they will be La Liga champion for the first time since 2019. Huge, absolutely huge. Jules, what about you? It has to be Jonathan David's goal for Lille at the Pas de Prince against PSG for a Lille win, which takes them top of the table, three points clear of PSG. They were fantastic all through the game, which was the complete opposite for PSG, but they, they played so well. And Jonathan David, who I guess is a good example of what they're doing at that club mm. in terms of trading and, and business model with a, with a goal that could be huge at the end of the season. Absolutely, Jules. Hey, here's a quick question from HP at Adam Diver 9. Four of Lille's 11 starters were PSG Academy players. Yeah. How does this happen? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and then I think when uh, Jonathan David came off after an injury, not long after his goal, Timothy Weah came on to replace him. We had five former PSG players out of 11 on the pitch for Lille. It's just that they, they took the opportunity to sign those players. Jonathan Icone, for example, who uh, went on loan there first, who done really well for them, won, won his French Cup while, while with Lille. McManion in goal, again, who would not have played much or not enough for his liking in Paris, so moved to moved to Lille. Uh, Boubacar Soumaré as well in midfield, who was fantastic in the game, who left the club before signing his first professional contract, so left on a free. And as we said, Timothy Weah as well, uh, who came on for, for Joe David. And then there's another one probably that I'm missing. Um, plus, they produced so many good players in the city of Paris that you couldn't fit them all into PSG. It's understandable, no? No, you're right. I, although I think it's a bigger debate and not one for now on the club's identity uh, right. and how you keep the best one. It's not just keeping them. It's also spotting the good one. Let's not forget that they still they, they missed out on Kylian Mbappe when he was mm. 13, who chose to go to Monaco instead of coming to PSG. That's the one they don't they don't see. The one they see but chose choose to go somewhere else. And then they're the ones who who leave either very early or for little money or for free. So there's a, it's a very fascinating subject, I think. And clearly, on Saturday, it came back to haunt them because right. all those former PSG graduates did, did a lot of damage to this PSG team. Mm, the ones that get away and become TV journalists in London. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to hear about all of that and much more. But let's start off with the big games coming up Tuesday and Wednesday, the Champions League quarterfinals. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. 
If one leg of your 4 plus fold ACA lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive. No shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. Tuesday in the Champions League, Man City get a visit from Borussia Dortmund and Real Madrid host Liverpool. Woof. Alvaro, it's a rematch of the 2018 Champions League final. Sadly, this time, there's no Sergio Ramos. And that is sad for Real Madrid because they've lost seven of their past 10 games in the Champions League that they've played without him. This is an absolutely huge 10 days for Real Madrid. No, you've got two legs against Liverpool and bang in the middle, El Clásico. Yeah, sadly for Real Madrid, Loris Carius is not playing for Liverpool too, has to be said. Um, but yeah, as uh, you said, I mean, this is the season-defining moment for Real Madrid. I remember very well uh, that final in uh, Kiev, uh, many things have changed for Real Madrid ever since then, especially Cristiano Ronaldo departing. Uh, but Real Madrid is in a good moment uh, coming uh, into this game. They haven't lost the game since January. And I do believe that against Liverpool, the key is going to be to keep control of the game. If the game accelerates a little bit, that's going to benefit Liverpool. Tony Cross, Modric and Casemiro probably will have to... Uh, do their possible best uh, to control the pace of the game because otherwise this may be a little bit difficult for Real Madrid. Uh, both teams have their own problems, uh, we are aware of that, but this weekend both uh, showed very positive signs. Real Madrid beat Eibar comfortably and uh, Liverpool beat Arsenal uh, also with a clean sheet. So I think that uh, this is one of the most difficult tires uh, to make a prediction. Rafa, Liverpool got that three-week break that we were talking about and they certainly looked much improved on Saturday. Yeah, they did. Uh, me and Jules were lucky enough to beat the Emirates, although maybe I was luckier than him uh, to see the game. Um, <laughs> Liverpool very, very strong. Arsenal very, very poor. But maybe just signs that the you know much maligned defence is beginning to to work for them. Um, I thought Kabak and Phillips had a good game together. It was the fourth clean sheet in a row. Up front, um, it was one of those weird games when none of the strikers actually had a particularly good game. I mean, the starting ones... But Mosalas still ends up uh, being absolutely vital. And of course, the inclusion of Diego Jota really paid off for, for Jurgen Klopp. I wonder if he's going to go with all four of them, um, maybe from the start, because Liverpool look better um, with that extra man up front against the Real Madrid team without Sergio Ramos, who might be, might be a bit vulnerable. That would be bold, no? Away in Madrid with uh, four up front? They did it at City, so they can do it. Uh, Real Madrid, I guess, you know, but certainly when, when Jota came on, I mean, Liverpool were very good before that, but when he came on and we saw with Rafa, we were on the side of Klopp's bench and Klopp clearly called uh, Salah to come over and said, this is a 4 to 4 now, you know, we'll have the two in midfield and then you, Jota, Firmino, be deeper and then Mane. And, and I think that worked for the time being and then he took off Firmino because they, there was no need, they were already 2-0 up or something. But I would love it if he starts like that against Real Madrid because I do think that if you do that and if you've got Firmino in the Casemiro area, Casemiro will have to think far more about defending than attacking. And we know how, funnily enough, how important he's been going forward for Real Madrid this season, either with goals or with shots or strikes that then created a chances or a goal for Real Madrid. So if you force Casemiro of almost purely defending the whole time because he will have Firmino on, on, on his shoulder the whole time. I think that takes a lot away from the way Real Madrid have been playing the last few months. That said, Saturday they were facing a team that barely made it out of their own half in, in, in the first 45 minutes at least against a Real Madrid side who have Benzema in exceptional form. What is it, nine goals in the last seven? Who've got Marco Asensio scoring three in his last three. It, uh, as I say, it does sound a bold move. Alvaro, your take. 
Uh, I think that uh, Benzema is going to be a goal guarantee for Real Madrid. The problem with uh, Real Madrid is that this season you don't know who is the second best scoring source for Real Madrid. Could he be Marco Asensio? Well, uh, that's still to be proven because Asensio is a very inconsistent player. I think that the factor of Vinicius can play a part as well because he's a player who has a certain unpredictability that uh, it is very good for Real Madrid sometimes because otherwise they are a bit flat. And I would like to say something about Ramos very quickly. I mean, the mismanagement of his recovery with the Spanish national team has been terrible. And uh, Real Madrid now uh, are facing the most important game of uh, the season uh, without Sergio Ramos, as you well said. And I want to remember and I want to remind you that last season in the Champions League at the Etihad, Rafael Barán had to play, uh, basically playing the ball from the back himself. And he suffered a lot from that. So I think that Sergio Ramos is very important too to ease off the pressure and to make sure that you play from the back very well and not having Sergio Ramos that's going to make it difficult for Real Madrid to play the ball from the back so if Liverpool pushes hard maybe Real Madrid is going to have uh, some trouble there trying to play from the back mm. Meanwhile the Clasico coming up before the second leg of this and the title race really heating up again in La Liga with Atletico losing uh, this time at Sevilla which leaves Real Madrid just three points behind them and Barcelona who play Monday night after we record this by the time this reaches you, listener, they could be only one point off the top with a game in hand, Alvaro. Yeah, that's uh, a novelty for Barcelona this season, really. But Atletico de Madrid, they screwed up uh, lately so badly. I mean, uh, let's not forget that in, in the first half of the season, they got 50 points. Uh, that didn't mean that they were champions. But of course, it was theirs to win the title. And uh, now Barcelona, as I said before... Uh, it's down to them to win the title. If they manage to get a win in El Clásico, uh, then they have to play still against Atletico de Madrid. So that game at the Camp Nou against Atletico de Madrid is going to be probably a title decider. So the good thing about Barcelona is that they put themselves in that situation. As for Real, meanwhile, figures make it look like they're kind of back to their best now. Nine wins, I think, in the last 11 unbeaten in that run. But have they actually faced anybody? Is this another level of adversary for them, Alvaro? Yes, it is. I believe that uh, in the Champions League, they didn't find that opposition uh, with Atalanta because uh, the first game was obviously uh, so marked by that uh, quick uh, sent-off by an Atalanta player. And uh, I think that they found a very difficult opposition against Atletico de Madrid about a month ago. But Liverpool is something else because... Uh, Liverpool in the Champions League, they've been really good this season. Uh, maybe in the Premier League, we know that they have had their uh, deficiencies, but in the Champions League, they have managed to be uh, still one of the best teams in Europe. So probably Real Madrid is going to encounter and face that version of Liverpool. So yes, this is definitely the biggest test that Real Madrid has had, definitely in 2021. Crikey. All right. Well, the other game going on on Tuesday, competing for our attention, is Man City against Dortmund. Man City... Afresh this weekend from one of their most imperious displays of the season, away at Leicester. Dortmund not so much, Rafa. Dortmund in that game which you referenced before, at home to Eintracht Frankfurt, the big playoff for fourth place, and it didn't go well for them. No, it went terribly, and they were so disappointing that uh, even the club hierarchy, the bosses, uh, especially Hans-Joachim Watzke, the CEO, had a real goal at the team saying he can no longer defend the team. It was just basically beyond the pale the way they played they created some chances they they scored a goal but ultimately it was the whole season rolled into 90 minutes whereby they looked a little bit immature in attack lots of easy balls being misplaced um, not quite the right decision in the final third looking 
very pretty but very hapless. And at the back, lack of concentration and conceding two goals. And that late goal from Andre Silva, uh, which condemned them to defeat, was not just the three points, but probably means that they'll have to do without the Champions League next season for the first time since that last year under Jurgen Klopp in 14-15. That year, of course, brought a big reconstruction of the, of the club with new players coming in and with Thomas Tuchel coming in. And something similar is going to happen next year with Marco Rosa coming in. But of course, you'd love to transform the team and, and add and strengthen from a position of financial strength rather than uh, losing a lot of money. Uh, Corona itself will cost them another 50, maybe 60 million euros of, of losses. Uh, that's um, net. So after everything um, you know, conceded, they will lose money as they did last season. And then, of course, not being in a Champions League would, depending on what they do, how much, how well they perform, could at least be 30 million, but maybe up to 70 million euros worse off. So it's a, it's a really killer blow. Mm. If only there was a way for them to easily bank a lot of cash this summer. <laughs> <laughs> you say easily, but um, I think that the money that they would like for Erling Haaland is not going to be affordable for many clubs perhaps mm. not any in this current climate i think dortmund wouldn't mind selling Jaden sancho for 100 million or so with harland uh, you know him having a release clause next season for 75 million euros that's never been confirmed but it's a figure that's not really being disputed dortmund have said we will do this only if somebody comes and offers us to double that money now this summer and I think they believe that no one's going to be in a position to do so. And they are reasonably confident that they can keep him and also that he won't try to force his way out the way that one or two players have done in the past in a similar situation. Even if they're not in the Champions League next season? Well, it'll be, it'll be of course, a huge embarrassment. It'll increase the pressure, if you will, to... To sell from Haaland's point of view, I think he probably doesn't want to be there. But at the same time, Haaland has a very clear pathway out of this club that is available next season. And I think it'll be fairly easy for him, his agent, his his father to understand that it might be even financially in their interest to stick around because any of that money saved on you know, the fee that would have to be paid this year is going to find his way back to the player. Right. So, yes, Europa League is annoying, etc. But I think Dortmund, or the market mechanism, if you will, right. will find a way to make it a little bit easier for him. Okay, to stick well, you might, for one you might one, want to tell his agent, Mina Raiola, and his dad that, because they're off doing a, a tour of La Liga and various other places, and no doubt will use uh, the clash with Man City as well to... Uh, wave at a few Man City executives. What what was behind uh, the jaunt around Barcelona and Real Madrid for Holland's representatives last week? Look, this has not come as a surprise to Dortmund. Before he set off or before they set off to Spain, they had a meeting with Dortmund just to understand where Dortmund's position is. And they set off with the knowledge that this is not about trying to sound out any buyers directly. This is about... Talking to the club, looking at the training ground, 
trying to understand what is the position of Barcelona. Are they really going to construct a new team or are they going to be very cash-strapped? What are Real Madrid's plans for next season? It was much more a fact-finding mission, if you will. Of course, the fact that it was all done in public made it look not so good and annoyed people, of course. But it wasn't an actual sales pitch, if you will, or them sort of already going deep into those financial uh, details. And that's not going to happen for a long, for a while, I think. Uh, Alvaro, what kind of facts do you think uh, Mino and uh, and uh, Harlan Senior discovered on this trip? Well, uh, I think that they they definitely knew already that uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid they've got their financial struggles. For Rayola, uh, it would have been very easy just to um, disguise this uh, meeting with Laporta because they are good friends and they, they have a contact. So um, they could easily say, yes, we've spoken about a number of things and uh, Erling Haaland was one of them, fine. But uh, nothing definitive uh, has been agreed, of course. Um, and Barcelona has so many issues to resolve before they can go to the market and uh, get a player of that caliber and that price because uh, Lionel Messi's future, if this is decided already, he is the only one who knows. Uh, he, he, Messi, as you well know, um, he takes a, a huge chunk of uh, Barcelona's uh, salary, uh, salaries in total. Um, that, uh, as per Barcelona, when it comes to Real Madrid, uh, there is an aspiration at Real Madrid to unveil the new ground, which is not in a different place. It's Santiago Bernabeu, but uh, there has been a remodelation to unveil the new ground uh, with a brand new player and <laughs> the best one they can. Uh, but uh, for that, Real Madrid, who has managed to mitigate the impact of the pandemic losses much better than Barcelona, for that, Real Madrid will have to sell. So, and uh, the dream for Real Madrid has been Mbappé, or that has been published in the Madrid uh, papers. So it's still a little bit early to say, really. And uh, Pep Guardiola said last Friday as well that, uh, for example, Manchester City didn't see themselves in the position to sign a player like Haaland or to uh, cash a lot of money for a player. So I think that Manchester, if Manchester City cannot afford a player like that, probably Barcelona and Real Madrid are going to struggle too. All right. Although a club pleading poverty ahead of uh, transfer negotiations wouldn't be the strangest thing in the world but I very much take your point about this game then on Tuesday Holland uh, hasn't scored in four games now Rafa three of those were for Norway but still there's no Jaden Sancho what chance do you give Dortmund of a springier surprise on City who've never been past the quarterfinals let's remember since Pep Guardiola took charge I'd love to be very optimistic and hopeful about Dortmund's chances but their performance was so poor and I think the lack of or the loss of Jaden Sancho weighs quite heavily on them as far as the counter-attacking chances are concerned that I think it's going to be very, very difficult. If they can keep this tie alive after the first leg, I think that will already be seen as a, as a success. It's going to be really difficult. They're, they're just, they're not happy. Marco Royce, the captain, had a bit of a hissy fit going off uh, as a substitute with 10 minutes to go. Haaland has looked very unhappy He's been shaking his head and uh, throwing his head hands up in the air, you know, kind of saying, what is happening here? These people around me are not good enough, uh, giving off these kind of vibes. So it's not really the ideal state of mind, confidence, form, whatever you want to call it, to, mm. to go into this game. I wish I could be slightly more positive, but I fear, I fear that it might all be over after the first deck. Certainly sounds like Haaland's very happy to be sticking around for another year and waiting for a release clause there. Anyway, we, we shall see what, 
what develops. Now, whoever gets through that tie will be facing the winner of the Bayern Paris Saint-Germain clash. Oof, we're going to be talking about that very shortly. But next, it's the all-Basque Copa del Rey final. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Alvaro, the 2020 Copa del Rey final, almost a year on. They finally played it. It was the first ever all-Basque affair. And yes, Real Sociedad winning 1-0 with their only shot on target from the penalty spot. Gutting for you. Who knows how long you'll have to wait to play in another cup final <laughs> with Athletic Football. Yeah, and uh, who knows? Uh, Real Sociedad are going to be the shortest uh, defending champions uh, ever because, uh, you know, uh, the next final is in 14 days between Athletic de Bilbao and Barcelona. But uh, right. it, it wasn't a very good game, uh, Jens. I have to say, uh, especially for Athletic Bilbao fans, it was very upsetting. But the game itself, when it comes to the quality, you could really tell that both teams, they were nervous. They didn't want to lose the final. But at the end of the day, Real Sociedad were more themselves than Athletic de Bilbao were, especially in the second half. And uh, as it happens in many games... It is quality more than physicality what decides a nail-beating game. And I think that Mikel Merino's pass to Porto uh, in the action that uh, ended up being a penalty was the only uh, beautiful action of the game. That uh, changed the game completely. He delineated a perfect pass for, for Porto. Oyarzabal scored the goal and he was very nervous uh, before taking the penalty because Oyarzabal had missed three penalties since March. So it was a very... Very difficult moment for him, but he managed to score. And uh, yeah, Real, uh, Real Sociedad uh, made history. Uh, they won their first title since 1987. And uh, uh, I was, um, you know, upset to see my club losing another final because we have lost four cup finals since 2009, plus a Europa League final in 2012. But, uh, you know, it was a Beautiful tribute for Basque football, I have to say. I want to go for that take uh, because I am in the losing side. And, uh, you know, uh, there were 32 players from the Basque country in the match day squad between Real Sociedad and Atletico de Bilbao. So uh, if you think that the Basque country is a 2 million inhabitant region, that's quite something. Having reached a final for both teams that use the academy a lot. So congratulations for Real Sociedad. And their manager, Emmanuel Alguacil. Yeah, he went mental, he went mental, so uh, he gave a normal press conference and then, uh, um, you know, he saw his uh, other self, so he started singing one of those uh, Real Sociedad chants and uh, it was beautiful. I mean, this is a man that has made a lot of sacrifices this year because uh, after the game he admitted that, uh, you know, he is not even having dinner with his family and children who are teenagers just to avoid uh, getting COVID-19 because uh, his uh, children go to university or to a school. So he's making a lot of sacrifices too and uh, he doesn't want to miss a single day of work. He knows that this season for Real Sociedad is very important. They've been in the Europa League. They could still qualify for the Champions League. So you know, fair play to him. He's a local manager and uh, 
you know, it cannot be a better feeling than winning a title with the team you are a fan of. And uh, that happens, uh, unfortunately, with the Real Sociedad players and the Real, uh, Real Sociedad manager. Like 16 or 17 or 20 members of the squad, they are from there, from Guipúzcoa. Very nice. This game had been held over, of course, to allow the chance uh, for uh, Basque fans to enjoy the two teams in action. As it turned out, they still weren't allowed to uh, enter the Sanchez Pijuan, although one or two, I believe, did check into that hotel that has rooms that look onto the pitch uh, there in, in Seville. And meanwhile, huge athletic crowds in Bilbao. And I wanted to ask, actually, that guy who tried crowd surfing off a traffic light, how is he? Have no idea, really. Have no idea. Uh, you know, it happened next to my parents' house, actually. Um, that traffic light is quite high. Uh, next to Pozas, the, the street that takes you so, to San Mames, to our, our ground. So I don't know how the boy is, but just to explain it, he basically jumped as if he was in a concert. Uh, he thought that somebody, a group of people, would just mm. uh, stop uh, in the way of a parachute. He's falling onto the ground. Nobody stopped him. And basically, he fell from what, two and a half, three meters on the floor <laughs> on concrete. Yeah, 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 but uh, he, he seemed to be all right. But I think that probably on Sunday when he woke up, he was feeling terrible. Yeah, for all sorts of reasons, Alvaro. Yeah. Uh, well, you get another crack at the Copa del Rey, as you mentioned, a week on Saturday against Barcelona. Uh, briefly, are you optimistic? Not much, not much, not much. But, uh, you know, it would be fantastic to win it because uh, every time uh, we talk about Athletic Club Bilbao, uh, the fans, especially us who are under 40, uh, you know, 1984 for anybody means a book from George Orwell, but for us it means the last time we won a real title, the Spanish Cup. Mm. So, I, you know, all the memories that I have from Athletic Club Bilbao are not mine, are somebody else's, are my family telling me, oh yeah, you were there when we won the title, but it was eight months, nine months. So those memories are not mine, and it probably happened to many supporters of Real Sociedad who have managed to renovate their emotional memories, all those who are under 35. So I really hope that we win it this time, but I think it's very difficult because Barcelona is in a great run right now and they are strongly favourites for that final on the 17th of April. Well, best of luck, Alvaro. Uh, next up, let's hear about Bayern PSG. Four! 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 Ten! The Masters are Augusta, and Paddy Power are paying even more places than usual, so you get money on your each-way bet if your golfer finishes in the top ten places. That's right, the top ten! Paddy Power! Online exclusive. Pre-tournament each-way bets on winner market at one-fifth odds. Dead heat rules and T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org Shh, you too. Oh, sorry. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Jimmy gets good! And he's in! Come on! And it's ausgerechnet, have you said. The Bayern führen! Wednesday in the Champions League, it's another exciting reunion. Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain, last year's Champions League finalists, of course. They meet in Munich. Jules... Yes. Right, okay. You're <laughs> tense. I understand. I, it's not so much tense because... Resigned? No. Well, so Lewandowski gets games. injured. Mind games. No, Lewandowski gets injured, which like Kylian Mbappé said on Sunday morning on French TV, it's a good thing if you're a PSG, if you're a PSG fan. It's better to place Bayern without Lewandowski than Bayern with Lewandowski. Then PSG lose themselves variety. And to mm. be fair, there's a case to say that Variety is, is more important in a way to PSG than Lewandowski is to, to Bayern in the sense that 
they will still create a lot of chances and there will be people in Bayern's team that will take those chances. But for PSG, without variety, the lack of creativity is, is pretty pretty brutal, suddenly. And um, Why can nobody else, I don't know, Di Maria or whoever, why can nobody else in that Paris Saint-Germain team perform something of his, his, his kind of... Because he wasn't doing it himself. He wasn't playing in that role until Pochettino arrived. Yeah, the only one really, the, the closest one in the squad is Rafinha. But for some reason, Poch is not a great fan of him. He hasn't played much since Pochettino arrived. He had COVID as well at some point like, like last month. So I think maybe that's been an issue. But it's just no one else has that profile of variety to keep the ball under pressure and against Bayern's press is so important. Who can somehow find a way out of having three players behind him? Uh, he's, he's far more efficient in the way he plays than he was maybe two or three years ago where he still was doing silly passes and silly dribbles in his own half or his own box even. So he's gained a lot of maturity and without him, especially in that new role that Pochettino had for him, it's very difficult for PSG as we saw, especially when Neymar is not match fit, which he is right now. Mm. And when he's not match fit, he tends to force his game a little bit too much and that has a counter effect to, to the PSG team than he should. Is there any chance that Verratti will be available on Wednesday? No, 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 no. He None has whatsoever. to self-isolate. Yeah. And Florenzi now on Monday was announced to have uh, tested positive for COVID as well, which again, considering behind Florenzi is either young Colin Dagba, who's not very good, or Tilo Kerrer, who's even worse. I don't know who's going to fill out right back, but certainly won't be as good as what Florenzi would have brought going forward, especially. So again, that's another worry for PSG. Okay, Bayern without Lewandowski getting a huge win over their nearest rivals in the Bundesliga title race this weekend. Paris Saint-Germain, meanwhile, up against their nearest rivals, Lille, and losing potentially a very costly defeat indeed, because not only are Lille now three points clear, uh, but also they're going to lose Neymar after his uh, stoppage time red card, Jules. Yeah, which he does when he's, again, uh, not much fit, when he's coming back from an injury. He always needs a bit of time to get back to his sort of best or near best level. And he tends to lose his head a little bit as well when things are not going his way, which was the case on Saturday. They defended well on him, Lille. They go into his head very quickly. He should have got sent off on his first yellow, to be fair, when he, he pushed the Lille captain in the face. Uh, and then got a second yellow not longer, not long, well, just before the end. And then he continued, he wanted to fight the Lille defender in the tunnel and in the dressing room. And there's fears right now that instead of a one match ban, which is usually what you get when you get sent off for two yellows, he would get more because he's been sent off so many times and always for the same thing that he could easily get a two or three match ban. Wow. So there's three points behind Lille with seven games to go. Verratti's got COVID. Neymar's going to be banned for a bit. You've got Monaco as well creeping up behind. What are they, one point yeah. uh, below Paris Saint-Germain? You've got Bayern Munich next in the Champions League. This is shaping up to be a brilliant start for Pochettino, eh? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel for him a little bit because he hasn't been easy, really. I mean, half of the squad, maybe not half, but had COVID since Pochettino uh, arrived. I mean, we were saying with Ralph on Saturday when we saw each other at Emirates, that's the second time that Variety got COVID since the end of January, which is exceptional, really. Uh, so he's been a worry. There's been a lot of injuries. They've played every three days. No time to work on anything. No time to prepare. Yeah, we've seen them doing good things like the away game in Barcelona, the, the away game in Lyon, where they were really good and very Pochettino-esque in the way they pressed and the intensity and and all the, the, the energy, the high energy that they showed. And then at times they're dreadful, like they were on Saturday against Nantes, at Lorient. All those games they lost already under Pochettino. 
Mm. The um, second bout of COVID, presumably coming from the current hotspot that the Italians are experiencing with their, their national side. There's been about five or six cases that have come out of the recent yeah. uh, training camp. If only someone had suggested that playing international football, gathering people from different countries at this time of a uh, worldwide outbreak was uh, not a great idea anyway. Yeah. Um, mm. Bayern Munich, Rafa. How come they didn't miss Lewandowski then against RB Leipzig? Well, they did miss him, but uh, they were able to compensate because the players behind Lewandowski were all available and, and all playing reasonably well, especially Thomas Müller, who had another really, really big game for Bayern and is arguably Bayern's most important player, even more so than Lewandowski, with the way that he kind of runs the team, keeps everybody motivated, organises things on, on the pitch and acts like a coach for the rest of the team. It was his assist that enabled Leon Goretzka to score the only goal against Leipzig. Uh, Bayern spent a lot of the game defending, defended reasonably well, conceded quite a few chances, but kind of just had a bit too much for Leipzig. Leipzig team that didn't quite have the same quality that Bayern had, and uh, that was really the difference rather than tactical. So Eric Maxim Chupomoting is going to run... Mm. Uh, Lead the line. So another again. Paris Saint-Germain old boy against Paris Saint-Germain. What happened last time? They, they... Yeah. Um, <laughs> last time, of course, Kingsley Coman scored a goal. I think Kingsley Coman will start as well. And of course, Alfonso Davis, who couldn't play, he was suspended, will be back. And possibly Jean Boateng as well. He was also suspended um, in the Leipzig game. So uh, there is a good chance that uh, we'll see a fairly full-strength Bayern with the exception of Lewandowski. And I think, rightly or wrongly, I think the anticipation or the, the sense of Munich is that they should be able to, to do it. I don't think that they'd have the same confidence if it, was, if it was Manchester City or even Liverpool at the moment. But with PSG, there is a sense that over two legs, Bayern should do it. However, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, who I spoke to, the Bayern chief executive, um, about a week ago, made the point that in the final, PSG might have actually been the better team. And if it hadn't been for Manuel Neuer, the game could have very well finished differently. So mm. I think maybe the public perception is slightly more optimistic than internally, where they still, I think, are very respectful of the challenge that uh, PSG present. Mm. Seven wins in a row now for Bayern in all competitions. They've also scored in 62 consecutive matches in all competitions. Where could it all go wrong, though, for the Bavarians against Paris Saint-Germain, do you think? It could go wrong because Bayern, as you know, as we've talked about, play a high line, and when it's not quite right and the intensity isn't perhaps, um, and the organisation isn't perhaps as good as it was through large spells of last season, then it, it leaves you with huge gaps. And Leipzig did a lot of good work playing through that press, especially in the second half. And you had a lot of moments where half of the Bayern team were out of the game and had to track back really quickly. And there were people running at the Bayern defence. I think Bayern might have to moderate their game a little bit and be perhaps slightly more measured in that approach. But of course, Hansi Flick has shown very few um, indications that he wants to do that. Um, the one thing that might work in Bayern's favour in that sense is that Eric Maxim Chupomoting is perhaps not as happy being involved in a pressing game as much as Lewandowski is. 
in, in a more natural way. So maybe Bayern will be a little bit more uh, restrained in that sense and hope that they can uh, play a bit more from their positional game. Jules, before we move on from Liga-related issues, Callum Sally would like to know, how good is Romain Perrault? And are the rumours he might be going to Leeds true? So I don't know about the rumours, but he's had a, a really good season uh, in a team that has been playing well all season, but not really getting the result that I think their the performances deserved. But they certainly have a few players in that team, like like Romain Fevre as well, the, uh, the right winger, left-footed winger, uh, who is very, very talented too, who I think a lot of English clubs are really keen on. So it's certainly one to keep, to keep an eye on. OK, well, I have more Twitter questions later on. Do you think Lille, because we did kind of sail past them to talk about PSG's clash with Bayern, but Lille now three points clear. Can they hang on? Yeah, I think they can. They have um, one more big game to play against Lyon, who will also face Monaco, by the way. So Lyon might, be, might still have a big role to play, although they're a bit behind now in terms of the title challenge and title race, but they still have a big role to, might have a big role to play and could do a favour to PSG if they, if they beat both Lille and Monaco, which is, of course, possible. So mm. we'll have to see. But Lille certainly uh, look really, really strong. What's funny is that before the international break, they lost to Nîmes at home and they were terrible. And then three weeks on, they go to Paris and, and have this tactical masterclass where they're so efficient in the two boxes, defend really well, game plan perfect from Christophe Galtier. So it's hard to tell, but they certainly look very, very good right now, I have to say. Mm. And as we mentioned, Monica very much in the mix there as well. And James, just to finish on Ligue 1, I've got um, the nice story of the weekend. It's a young goalkeeper who made his debut for Saint-Étienne called Etienne Green, who was born in Colchester, whose father is uh, English, hence the name Green, which is obviously a, a, a great, um, I don't know, coincidence? Is Nomina- the word, maybe? Nominative determinism. Yeah, that he plays for a team, obviously, whose nickname is the Green, Le Verts, oui. uh, and whose parents called him Etienne as a tribute to Saint-Etienne, the city where he Damn. grew up. And he's been mm. at the club for 11 years. He's 20, made his debut. They won 2-0 and he saved the penalty in the last minute of his first ever game as a professional goalkeeper. So well done to Etienne Green. OK, also on Wednesday, Porto-Chelsea. Both legs of this game are going to be taking place in Seville. Chelsea fresh off the back of their first defeat under Thomas Tuchel. Porto, who put Juve out in the last 16, come in off a 2-1 victory, their fourth in a row, actually, uh, this time this weekend against uh, Santa Clara. They'll be without a couple of key players, Mediterrami and Sergio Oliveira, who's actually their top scorer in Europe this season. But any thoughts on this? Porto's are very good at shutting teams down. Chelsea, not so good at actually scoring goals. What's your take, anybody? Well, it's great for Porto that Pepe is fit again uh, because he was training on his own during the international break. But maybe this is as far as Porto can get. I mean, let's not forget that a couple of goals that uh, Porto scored against Juventus were Juventus mistakes. He can, do mm. you remember, of course, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo just turning his back on a free kick? But also Bet- Betancourt lost uh, a key ball at Dragao that uh, obviously made uh, Juventus have to trail uh, in the game there in Portugal. So I think that this time Chelsea, despite their inconsistency, Consistencies in defence that we saw, especially the other day um, against West Bromwich Albion, Chelsea should come as the favourite for this tire. OK, very good. Well, next up, uh, let's get a quick check on Syria and a word or two on the Europa League. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. One in the eye for those who thought Juventus and Napoli wouldn't be in action still during the quarterfinals of the Champions League. They'll be playing on Wednesday night, admittedly not in the actual Champions League. They're having that game that they were meant to do back in October. But you may recall Napoli couldn't go or advised not to go because they had lots of positive results for COVID tests. They were then deducted points for it, but then that was overturned and now they're actually playing the game. As chance would have it, uh, this time around, the game has been scheduled at a particularly delicate moment for Juventus because Saturday they dropped points again. They were beaten by Benevento before the international break. Now in the Turin derby, they drew 2-2 with Davide Nicola's revitalised Torino. And they're now hanging on to fourth spot on goal difference alone. And guess who's behind them? Napoli, who they face on Wednesday, etc. Anybody catch Napoli's seven-goal thriller with Crotone on Saturday? Woof. I did. I did it for uh, BT Sport, the score. Did you? Nice. Yeah, I watched yeah. it all. Well, I mean, they... They can't defend, can they? They were so much better. But if Maximovic and Manolas don't make the mistakes that they made to bring Crotone back in the game, uh, I think they could easily have won this one 4-0. But I think the character they showed for Di Lorenzo to score that uh, winning goal, what, 15 minutes before the end, mm. was really good. And certainly the momentum that they have now going into this Juve game, which is the complete opposite for Juve, who look like they lost all sorts of confidence individually and collectively, is massive. And I want Gattuso to do well because I don't think the Laurentiis have treated him that well this season. So it would be great for him to finish top four ahead of Juve. OK, how impressed were you with Simi Nwankwo? Oh, I think he's great. I think so he's this, really good. This, this, this fellow, he scored eight goals in his last five games. Not only that, but in that period, Crotone have only scored 12 goals themselves. So he has scored, what is that, two-thirds of all their goals. Yeah. And he's on 15, I think, in Serie A for the season. He's 28, so it's not like, I wish we could say, oh, he's the, the next big thing because he's, you know, he's so young and this and that. But mm. he's been fantastic. And and again, he there's nothing that he does that he doesn't, he's not trying to do things that he can't do, but he's very efficient, everything he does. And, and I... I it would be hard for them to stay up, but I think it would be great for, to stay up. And if, if they don't, he will go to a club that is still in Serie A in the summer. There's no doubt. Hmm. Well, that's Crotone. And, uh, Napoli now taking on a Juve team who are outside the top two for the first time since 2011. Extraordinary stat, that. They haven't been outside of the top two positions in Serie A since this incredible title-winning run started all the way back in 2011. There's word that... Uh, Massimiliano Allegri was back in talks with uh, the Agnellis over the Easter weekend about returning to a role uh, with Juve, who are in a slightly difficult situation. I think we'll see what happens on Wednesday night uh, to the incumbent, Andrea Pirlo. 
Uh, they may fare better because Juve struggle particularly with teams that know how to defend, like Porto, for example, in the last 16, and indeed Torino, uh, and Napoli defensively not so great. Jules? And and also, I think what maybe is a is an indication of, of what's wrong at Juve is the... Um, the suspension that McKenny Arthur and Paulo Dybala had for this game against Torino in the derby because they breached the COVID uh, regulations and rules by having a party or a dinner, depending on who you're listening to. And I don't know. I I I, I can't. I think Weston McKenny is a is a really intelligent guy. I, I just can't believe people still do this right now after a year of lockdown everywhere in the world. It's crazy. Mm. Wise word. Uh, up top. In City Outs, all over by the shouting. Inter on Saturday got their ninth straight victory. It was 1-0 against Bologna. Romelu Lukaku with his 20th goal of the season. Second straight season, he's hit 20 or more goals. And with Milan drawing with Samp, with a lovely uh, lob by that man, Quagliarella, the Nerazzurri are now eight points clear. A shout-out to Spezia's Daniele Verdi for the outstanding uh, overhead kick he pulled off against Lazio in a 2-1 defeat for the Ligurians. And with that, uh, let's move on to the Europa League. Uh, four games coming up in their quarterfinals on Thursday. Dinamo Zagreb will face Villarreal. Ajax are up against Roma, the last Italian side in European competition. Granada take on Man United and Arsenal are up against Slavia Prague where Andre Kudela is now facing a UEFA inquiry over what he said to Glenn Kamara in the previous round. Unfortunately, this is a very similar case that just happened this weekend in La Liga, Alvaro, no? with Valencia's Mukta Diakabi uh, saying that he was abused by Cadiz's uh, Juan Carla uh, in the game which was suspended when Valencia left the field in protest but then started again with Carla continuing to play but uh, Diakabi not. Yes, absolutely. Diakabi was devastated and he was not ready to play. Uh, it's difficult to believe and I don't want to break here the presumption of innocence, of course not. But uh, Diakabi looked like uh, somebody who had been like badly insulted and yeah, um, Basically, Valencia returned onto the pitch because the referee told them that uh, if they didn't, they could face even point deduction. And right. uh, since Valencia didn't know uh, whether uh, there would be actually like uh, some television evidence of what uh, Juan Cala said to Diakabi, decided to uh, return onto the pitch. But the truth is that uh, maybe Valencia lost an opportunity, really, to to make this claim a little bit bigger and not to return onto the pitch mm. because. Uh, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if your player has been insulted and he, if he's not in the mood to keep on playing, why should you be in the mood to keep on playing? You know, I think that uh, Valencia lost a little bit of an opportunity there to, to stick to the player, even though it's not that they don't support him, not at all, but they fear to face pointed actions or any sort of, uh, you know, repercussion, negative repercussion. But one thing has to be said here. Juan Cala is going to speak um, on Tuesday. He's going to give a press conference and uh, finally we'll uh, hear his version of the story. Okay, interesting because his face was a picture through the protests and, and not an especially convincing one. But as you say, the presumption of innocence for, for anybody is is, is essential. Uh, the referee, as yet, I don't think has confirmed that. I think they said that both teams decided to come out and play again. But Valencia's position was very much that the referee told them that since they hadn't heard the comment themselves <laughs> and since Carla himself had denied it, that the two teams would be required to come back out. Valencia ended up losing the game anyone, anyway, 2-1. 
Yeah, and very quickly, uh, there are uh, different ways of uh, seeing this. If uh, Valencia reports this, files a complaint form, and um, at the end it is deemed that uh, the accusation is real and that the insult is very serious, a player could face up to two to five years of his footballing license withdrawal. So that's quite a thing. So that's why I believe that probably Kala won't accept that he say that, even if he, if he, if he did, because uh, the repercussion that he could face is pretty heavy. Well, in the best possible scenario for him, I think that he will be missing four games and uh, he will, uh, of course, face a financial fine as well. Mm. Well, uh, as I say, uh, Europa League quarterfinals coming up on Thursday. Ajax Roma is going to be interesting. Arsenal Slavia Prague potentially, you know, given the Gunners and that. Dinamo Zagreb with huge game for them after putting Spurs out against Villarreal. And what about Alvaro Granada in the second division not long ago, now playing for a European semi final against Man United? Oof. Yeah. It is pretty much unbelievable what they have done and the thing is that they want more. I think that the best thing that can happen to Granada and the best thing that Granada can can be happy about is the fact that they don't have any pressure here. Uh, Of course, Manchester United is a better team than Granada, uh, but... uh, Maybe the last precedent between Manchester United and a Spanish team is not very valid because Real Sociedad plays on free-flowing football that Manchester United can uh, take advantage of. But Granada are different. They are solid. They are many of the players very experienced as well. A little bit tricky sometimes, you know. So I think that this game, I wouldn't say that uh, Granada is favorite for this game. Not at all. But it's true that if anything, they're going to play this game with the appetite and uh, more so with the professional seriousness uh, needed to play a team like Manchester United. It's a top season for Granada. All right. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how that turns out on Thursday. Before we wrap it up, a couple of items from the post bag. Rafa, these are for you. Let's have a little look. Q says, any exciting takeaways, Rafa, from the Berlin derby between Hertha and Union? I think any exciting takeaways would have been doner kebabs because um, nice. in a sporting sense, Or a large James, sausage, it, perhaps. Yeah, Maybe. Uh, in terms of the uh, on-pitch fare, mm. it was uh, rather um, tough to digest ah. because it was a pretty attritional, atrocious game. Uh, One-one draw. Of course, a derby without the fans is never that exciting, but the football was pretty, pretty bad. Union started well enough. Um, Hertha recovered in the second half, got a draw that they can reasonably be happy with, but. It just shows you just how poor they are that, uh, you know, a draw and a point that will help them avoid relegation was seen as a success. Paul Dardai, the coach, being very, very unhappy though with his team. I see. Alex Cooney's also got a question for you. It relates to something we were talking about earlier on, Dortmund and their transfer policy. Alex asks, do Dortmund now regret their stance on Sancho last summer since they're going to drop into the Europa League? Their team is really unbalanced and definitely needed an elite goalkeeper. Ooh, also, says Alex, can you highlight how great Wolfsburg and Frankfurt have been? Silver and Kostic especially are fantastic. Yes, I mean, Frankfurt deserve a lot of praise. Uh, they've really been playing so well, especially in the second half of the season. Kostic has um, come back to his very best. Jovic and Silva is a fantastic combination up front. And it's it's really fun watching this Frankfurt team play. Wolfsburg may be slightly more pragmatic. They Their game is based on defense. They don't concede almost any goals. 
and they find ways of winning games and they have this consistency and are really tough to beat. So yes, we should praise them as well. But Frankfurt are, I think, the neutrals darlings, if you will. As far as Sancho is concerned, I don't think Dortmund do regret uh, not selling. I think they would have liked to see Sancho have a better first half of the season because he's been very good recently before getting injured. Um, but took maybe a couple of months getting over the fact that this move didn't happen. So I don't think it can easily be said absolutely no, no regrets whatsoever because of the financial implications and the sporting situation. But I think Dortmund would probably make the decision again, feeling that they shouldn't have sold him for a figure that was below their own valuation. So I think you can't really blame them for, for sticking to that price. Excellent. Well, we've got a big midweek of action ahead of us and then all sorts of excitement to next weekend as well, the Classico and other delights too. We'll be back next Tuesday with added James Horncastle to discuss all of that. So do hope you'll be tuning in then. Listener for now, many, many thanks to Rafa, to Alvaro and to Jules and thanks to producer Charlie and you, listener, go on. And we'll speak to you soon. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.